To all my moms moving on, I have something amazing for you. If you're ready to move on from your engagement ring, the experts at Worthy can help you turn it into cash, fast and risk-free. Worthy does all the work and their competitive auctions get you the best deal possible. Over 45,000 people have already moved on with Worthy. Are you ready to move on too? Visit worthy.com slash moms to get an extra $100 when your jewelry sells for over $1,500. That's worthy.com slash moms for a special bonus offer just for the Moms Moving On community. This week on Moms Moving On. Stop focusing on what they're doing and determine how you're going to be responding, even if you absolutely believe that. If you tell me my ex is a psychopath, I'm going to say, okay, now what? Not how can we change him or her, but what are you going to do to protect your children, giving what you believe? Okay, the other person's impossible. Okay, let's focus back on you. Then there is something you can do. You can learn to be non-impossible. And the answer to an impossible co-parent is for you to apply the techniques and the skills of being a non-impossible co-parent. Life moves on, so why shouldn't we? This is Michelle Dempsey-Moltak, your host of Moms Moving On, navigating divorce, co-parenting, single motherhood, and moving on. Welcome back to another Moms Moving On. I'm excited to be here today with two fabulous people. We have Diane Dirks and Rick Boyles of the Co-Parent Dilemmas podcast, which you may or may not have already have heard of, but these are two very, very knowledgeable people in the world of all things co-parenting. Diane is an experienced counselor, mediator, and trainer who has specialized in working with families in transition for almost 20 years. She's the author of the books, The Co-Parent Toolbox and Solo Parenting, Raising Strong and Happy Families. She has written and published numerous magazine articles about single and co-parenting families. It's very, very nice to have you both here. Rick is also extremely knowledgeable in all things co-parenting. Rick, can you share a little bit about yourself? Because I have the Diane elevator pitch, but I don't have yours. (laughs) Uh, I too am a trainer for many years. I work with high conflict co-parents, both in a mediation context and in a parent coordinating context. So usually with the high conflict, trying to navigate through very complicated dynamics. And I just feel as uh, divorce rates rise, or I don't know, there's more and more high conflict behavior out there that we're seeing. At least every single one of my clients that comes to me or potential clients is dealing with a high conflict situation and so much post-litigation abuse, which as we know, just creates a very difficult dynamic for the children. So I'm curious to hear about your how you came together uh, to create this project that you're both involved in and some of the work that you do. Sure. Thank you, Michelle, uh, for having us today. We're excited to be here as well. Um, How we got here? Well, Rick and I came together maybe about 10 years ago. I was running the nonprofit that was responsible for doing a lot of the court-ordered parenting classes in the Atlanta metro area. 
And Rick came on as a trainer with me and we did that for many years together. And we're still, I'm still head of the organization, but have other therapists and trainers underneath of me that do the more the in-trenches work, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but what we found out is that we had a pretty specific way of dealing with conflict, uh, whether we were staffing a case in our organization or whether we were answering questions in the class. And you start to see all kinds of patterns developing and, and with our knowledge from our experience, as well as getting trained in different areas, we sort of developed what we call the dragon method of uh, processing conflict. And where we we came about doing the podcast, mainly because I just wanted to do a podcast (laughs) and and said, hey, Rick, I don't want to do this by myself. Do this with me. I need a male perspective. And, you know, I've written a couple of books and I love to write, but at the same time, there's so much that I would have to write a thousand page book, right? So I like the podcast format because it's like writing a chapter a week and the book never ends. That's right. I know. Yeah. yeah. It's so, <laughs> so funny. I, I'm with you because with my yeah. own book, I, yeah. I mean, by the time, from when I wrote it, by the time it was published, I felt yeah. like there could have been so much more in there, right. but it's okay right. to have a podcast. I'll yeah. just do that here. And we just have a lot of fun. I think once you've you know, gain some experience and get used to, you know, we always said there's not a question we can't answer because we've heard so many things and dealt with so many things. So it's not hard for us. Obviously, we're on the outside. I know it's hard for those in the middle of it, but it really isn't that hard for us to look at a conflict and go, okay, here's probably what's happening. And here's what parent A should do if parent B refuses to do such and so. And we are a big proponent of you can manage the conflict in your co-parent relationship by only the things that you decide to do. And and your yeah. your reaction to all of what the high conflict person tries to bring to you. It's, it's sure. so difficult though, because like you said, when you're in the middle of it, it always feels like the biggest sure. issue in the world and the most difficult to navigate. And the professionals, you know, on the outside, it's very easy to say, well, here's, here's the simple thing you need to do. Right. But it doesn't seem so simple. So, um, co-parenting dilemmas, what are the top that you guys see over and over and over again? Rick, you want to take that? (laughs) Wow. I, I I stumble on the word top. Um, I would say the the top 27. (laughs) (laughs) How much time do we have? (laughs) Yes. Well, I think probably what most people would, would turn to or would be that narcissist is probably the biggest problem where one co-parent has high narcissistic tendency or actually a disorder uh, and is narcissistic. And the dilemmas that that creates for the children, but also for the other co-parents. And I would say those, those are the hard ones and the ones people think about the most when you think about high conflict. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I wonder if in your line of work, like, like mine, you're, you get a lot of clients who come to you right off the bat and say, my ex is a narcissist. Like that's what it is. I can't co-parent. Okay. So it's not just me. All right. How do you, how do you (laughs) handle that? Because that in itself, that mindset of deciding your ex is somebody who's impossible to deal with kind of puts the roadblock there for you a little bit, don't you think? Right. So Rick and I just had a long conversation about this recently because I think that um, the label narcissism kind of lets people off the hook of, well, he's just impossible. She's impossible. So there's nothing I can do about it. When, you know, rather than diagnosing your co-parent, 
it's probably better to say, okay, so what? We have that experience in our classes. We do one class called an advanced workshop for co-parents where it's very small. And we go around the room and ask people to tell us their story. And it takes quite a bit of time. But we found out when you let people talk and tell their story, they're more open to your ideas, right? Mm -hmm. And at the end of the storytelling, the first thing we say is we believe you. Wow. And when your ex-husband or ex-wife comes in next week and takes this class, we're going to say the same thing to them. We mm-hmm. believe you mm-hmm. because it's a matter of perspective. The person who comes to you and says, my co-parent is a narcissist. When you talk to the other co-parent, they have another label for the person you just of talked course. to. Of so course. when we are talking to both parents, we've learned that everybody's got their story and everybody's got their perception. But the answer is, so what? What are you going to do about it? What can you do about it? What should you do about it? And stop focusing on what they're doing and determine how you're going to be responding, even if you absolutely believe that. If you tell me my ex is a psychopath, I'm going to say, okay, now what? Yes, Not how can we change him or her, but what are you going to do to protect your children, giving what you believe? Or, okay, okay, they're a psychopath. Let's just not even try anymore. And so when (laughs) when people people come to me with that, you know, well, my ex is a narcissist. My marriage counselor said definitely he fits the profile. My response is, okay, so what do you want to do? Do you like, are you here to change the label or are you figuring out how you can best help your children through this process? And then it really does help shift that perspective. But I want to, I want to talk about co-parenting men today because we always focus on the women and it's really heartwarming. But lately I've been getting lots of messages in my DMs from dads who are like, I'm a guy, but I follow you and thank you because you're, you're, information really helps me too. And I want to know if we're all deciding, every, all the women are deciding their exes are narcissists and they're impossible to co-parent with, what are the guys saying? Like, what are they struggling with? I, the same thing. Uh, my ex is a narcissist <laughs> and I, right. it's, it's impossible to deal with. And one of our answers is that we've created, okay, the other person's impossible okay, let's focus back on you, then there is something you can do. You can learn to be Mm non-impossible. And the answer to an impossible co-parent is for you to apply the techniques and the skills of being a non-impossible co-parent. What does it look like to be a non-impossible co-parent? Primarily, in the way I like to describe it is if you start the sentence with my co-parent is a narcissist, they're probably taking way too much room in your head. Mm. And if you're constantly thinking about what they're doing and how they're reacting and what they're going to say, then they're spending way too much time in your head. You need to evict them out of your head. And I would say the more you do that, the better non-impossible parent, because that room they're taking up is room your children cannot have. (laughs) Oh my God. Oh my God, that is so beautiful. Wow. Wow, that is absolutely true. And I I always say, like, especially if you're a single parent, your children need more attention than you've ever given them before. And you are at a, a loss for time and energy. And if you spend any of it outside of where you need to, it's going to be a very difficult experience for your children. Yeah, we also find that people 
or disappointed, or maybe even worse than disappointed, dismayed, despaired that they leave someone because of this impossibility, only to find out it feels more impossible to co-parent with them. Because at least in marriage or in a committed relationship, you have leverage. Mm -hmm. And when the relationship is over, the leverage goes away. And Mm -hmm. Things that were problems in the relationship are exacerbated by not having any desire or impetus to want to make it work well. And that has the desire has to be the children. But sometimes only one person truly has that. And those end up high conflict when one person we've heard it said before, and we like this phrase, hates their ex more than they love their kids. Yeah, that's 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 a very powerful statement. Um, I know that's a big one used in the co-parenting world. And it's very hard, you know, For I I will say for the person who has been left or feels wronged in the sense of like the ending of the marriage, they're going to have a much harder time loving their children more than they hate their ex. So how do you help them do that? Yeah. Especially for men, I'm wondering, because women, and I'm not trying to stereotype at all, so please don't send hate mail, but women will naturally just say, I'm just worried about my kids. I want to do what's best for my kids Mm -hmm. and self-abandon a little. Mm -hmm. And men have a harder time taking that mindset, if you will, in my experience, not all men. And at the risk of also stereotyping, (laughs) I would say that, and Rick, you you will probably have maybe a similar answer, but I tend to try to appeal to men's logic. And they're more comfortable with that. And we can make this logical. And that's really kind of how this dragon concept came about, you know, looking at the dilemmas, the D, and then reframing, which is the R, uh, figuring out what your anxiety is about, developing a goal, and then the opportunity and then negotiation. And when you put it in concrete terms, it seems that that makes more sense to men than telling them how they should or shouldn't feel Mm. or tell me how you feel. And then I'll tell you why it's wrong to feel that way. It doesn't work very well, you know? So if you can take it out of the feeling mechanism into something that sounds plausible, logical, practical, okay, if I follow these steps, then maybe I'm not going to change her, but I can change how I view the conflict and not let it affect me so much. Mm -hmm. And hence that doesn't affect the children so much. It's the most wonderful time of the year, except if you're going through a divorce or know somebody who is and is just dreading this holiday season. Well, if you don't know what to get the person in your life who is anticipating divorce or who has just started the process, I have just the gift. My book, Mom's Moving On, Real Life Advice on Conquering Divorce, Co-Parenting Through Conflict and Becoming Your Best Self could be your divorcing friend's new Bible for navigating one of the toughest phases of her life. Not only is it gonna help her feel better and understand more about the legal process, it's gonna help her understand how to help her children through the legal and divorce and co-parenting process. And what's better than that? So hurry up, grab the book now. If you get it on Amazon, it can be overnighted for yourself or for the friend who really needs it. Help make this a better time of year for your people in your life.
Class is in session and it is time for you to master your divorce. I am Michelle Dempsey Maltak, the creator of Moving On School, and I want to welcome you to Moving On 101, the one and only class you'll need in order to master the concepts of getting divorced and co-parenting your children so that you can truly move on. In this eight-week program, we'll meet week by week to help you move past each phase and first of the divorce and co-parenting process so that you can move on in an empowered way while making the best decisions for your children. Visit www.momsmovingon.com to apply for our next semester of Moving On School coming in January. So I want to know from two people, two professionals in this space. We hear a lot when we're dealing with, you know, high conflict people, there's a lot of advice online. And one of those is gray rocking. (laughs) I am not a fan for my own reasons, but I'm wondering what are your beliefs on this method? And, And for those who don't know, gray rocking is basically just ignoring, blocking and never responding to the high conflict person. What are your thoughts on this? Rick, why don't you take that one? I think, you know, we feel the same way about it. Yeah, um, silence really, our experience doesn't work. They just do more texting and more emails and louder and angrier. Or worse, they're starting to document because uh, they're trying to build a case against you. Uh, we come up with uh, little, um, gosh, what's the word we use? It just mantras. Mantras, <laughs> yes. Yeah. We have mantras that we teach and promote. So if, um, and an email protocol, that is a structured communication protocol that allows us to create a good, healthy boundary against the other person. Now, Mm -hmm. that means that instead of blocking them, I can respond with a predetermined mantra. Mm -hmm. Thank you for letting me know. I'll take that into consideration. Yes. And then the answer is, well, just so you know, I don't think you're putting the kids to bed on time and that's bad for their health. And then to which you say, thanks for letting me know. I'll take that into consideration. Okay, just just so you know, (laughs) because if you don't do this right, I'm going to tell the court to which you say, (laughs) thanks for letting me know. I'll take that into consideration. Yeah, our experiences that if you go silent for too long and block your co-parent, the court is end up going to end up not liking that. And, well, and the, also your defense you're... is, you know, my co-parent won't co-parent with me. And we call that the double bind. I'm, I'm going to drive you crazy until you block me. And then when you block me, I'm going to tell the court you won't co-parent with me. And that causes a lot of craziness for some parents. I try to get along, but I give him an inch and he takes a mile. So mm-hmm. then when Abusive I put up the boundary, yeah. And then when I put up the boundary, I get you know, criticized by the court for that. So the email protocol and these mantras are a way to stay in the bounds without getting in trouble, but also to be able to end the conversation when needed. Yeah. And I, I think I, I love Bill Eddy, who I'm sure you guys know very well and his Biff Biff and ear responses are something that like, I think has been transformative for anybody who has adopted those and used them. Um, and, and when it goes, when it comes to gray rocking, my whole mindset is, well, when do you communicate about the kids? Because they're little people with like their own struggles and needs. And maybe one of them had a hard day at school and the other parent needs a heads up. Like, when does that happen? If you guys aren't talking and, you know, I, I just, 
I don't see the good when there are children involved. No right. children involved, fine. No reason right. for communication, but right. it just seems counterproductive. When we- when we talk about co-parenting styles, we talk about it in terms of either a cooperative style, which is lots of communication, lots of flexibility, lots of negotiation, which requires a lot of goodwill. And we know 25 to 30% of co-parents after divorce can pull that off. So the vast majority of parents cannot, which we hope then they can move into a parallel style mm-hmm. where we liken that to a ladder. And you're going up the ladder side by side and you have structured rungs mm-hmm. where you touch base and communicate on a weekly basis, preferably. And there's a third style that we hope no one gets into, but I've seen it actually ordered by the court a few times, which we call a completely disengaged style. I've read court orders where the judge says, this is so bad and so abusive to your children. I am not going to allow you to communicate with one another again ever. <laughs> and the, you're correct that that's very destructive to the child because if mom and dad can't get straight, who's supposed to pick up Johnny at soccer practice and nobody comes, right. Right. Johnny has to get in the middle and of his parents and he has to be the third co-parent in order. Yeah. <laughs> and so it forces a child in the middle of the conflict. So we really teach high conflict parents from a perspective of the parallel style as the most healthy, if they can't accomplish a cooperative. Well, if you think about, I mean, and I tell this to all my clients, co-parenting is a very misleading term, especially in the beginning. Like I always say, give it two years before you even (laughs) expect yourself to co-anything. If you're parallel parenting in the beginning, great. That's the best you can do because tensions are still high. There's probably a divorce process happening. And and Mm. people I think are so hard on themselves about it. They want to do what you know, looks nice on Instagram and take the family picture and both go to (laughs) the school play or whatever that is for them. But it's so unlikely in the beginning. And I, and I feel bad that people think that co-parenting has to be this flexible, happy, you know, collaborative experience when that's very, very unattainable, at least in the beginning. I'm glad you brought that up because we actually teach that co-parent is simply a definition two parents who don't live together anymore. It's not a style. Yet we'll have court orders that say this person, these two people are supposed to go to co-parenting. You know, in other words, that is somehow a style that should keep them looking a certain way. So you are a co-parent. I am a co-parent. We co-parent. But what style is your co-parenting? And a lot of people think, well, the parallel style means I've failed. Not really. It means that one of you doesn't want any more than that or can't tolerate Mm -hmm. any more than that. Mm -hmm. And that can be grieving for one parent who would like it to be more than that. But because it can't, they settle with, I'll just do the parallel parenting because at least it's civil. And both parallel and the cooperative style have the same goal in mind, and that's to eliminate conflict for the kids. Right. And if Absolutely. that's what you do, you know, and we teach that if you're cooperative and you double date with your ex's new wife and ex's new husband, good for you. But there's absolutely no research that tells us that the kids of those parents are any better off than kids who successfully do parallel parenting. As a side note, I've seen those situations actually be really difficult on the kids. Yes. Um, they 
children, I think we take for granted how hard they have to work to separate their lives mentally now. And I know my, I got separated when my daughter was two and when she was four and we were more in a place to be in the same space together, she would look at both of us like, why are you both here? Like, this is really strange. And they really have to compartmentalize because they're so literal. And for anybody listening who just really wants to have like a family dinner with their ex, it may just be for your own peace of mind and not necessarily for what your children need. One of the problems that can arise from that, if you do that for five or six years and you're going on family vacations and everything's great somebody decides to date again and if your new partner isn't comfortable guess who the kids blame for breaking up the family yeah and and then it can really be awkward and unfair to any new people that come into the mix so I think we always teach you know get it separated right off the bat teach the kids we're we're separated we're divorced but we're not unloving and Mm -hmm. you still have each of us in different ways because you can set it up so that new people can't infiltrate. Right. Absolutely. That that insular family that we're still trying to pretend to have. Yes. I want to talk a little bit about picking your battles because in my line of work, working with women, I seem to see the same patterns like, oh my God, can you believe he's putting them to bed an hour later than me? Or can you believe they're drinking water after they brush their teeth? Or can you, and, and I have a whole chapter on this on my book, the co-parenting battles you need to pick if you want to sleep peacefully at night. But when it comes to somebody high conflict from the man's perspective, where, where do men need to learn to pick their co-parenting battles? Uh, the same, the same thing. Um, you want to always think about what is the future going to look like with my children. I I'm constantly communicating to the the men in work with that you're in a long game. Mm-hmm. It's not about winning this this inning or this quarter. You you could be way far behind at halftime and still win this game, what is the relationship you want to have with your children in the future? And I know Diane has said, um, you can have a lot more time with your children as adults from 18 and on than you will as having them as children. Yep. So focus on that relationship and pick I your actually, battles around that. Yes, I actually, I just did my um, a, a training for certifying coaches. And one of, one of the trainees brought that quote in, like she said, I heard somewhere, and I'm I'm assuming it was from you that you actually spend more time with your kids as adults. And I don't think anybody's ever like stopped to really process that and then think about, okay, well, what do I hate my parents for? And what do I resent them for? And I don't want that to happen to my kids. Right. Yes. Yes. That's such a great, like bird's eye approach to looking at your relationship with your children. That's incredible. We get so stuck in the day-to-day and the little things. Those are, that's why picking your battles is so important. Yeah. And I do a a support group for moms who don't have custody of their kids, which, you know, socially is a, they feel like pariahs and they talk all the time about what they're missing. You know, even though they still have time with them, they're missing on the day-to-day. They're missing out on, you know, the coming home from school and telling me how it felt that day in high school. And I think that 
men have felt that for many years, but we haven't really recognized that Mm -hmm. until now more and more moms are experiencing that. And um, a lot of these moms that I work with ended up without custody simply because they didn't have money to fight. Right. That's so sad. You know, and it's it's a reality. It's definitely Mm -hmm. a reality. But I think that men have the same kinds of feelings, but they were just accepting of it. And now, you know, women are feeling it too, that I'm missing out on the day to day or day to day and only seeing my kids on weekends. And I'm trying really hard to make that weekend be very special. And how do you do real life on two days a week? And it's interesting to talk to women who are experiencing it now. And I'm always saying, you know, men have been experiencing this for many, many years. And it's yeah. just, it's a function and the consequence of divorce. Yeah. You know, it's how do you help shift um, the mom's perspective on, well, I've always done everything for the kids. There's no way he can handle 50% or 10% or even one overnight. I hear that a lot. And I'm not going to lie. I felt the same way when I was separating and taking a step back and letting my ex become the dad that he is, was probably the greatest gift I could have ever given my daughter. So I'm constantly sharing that, but how do you handle that? Well, yeah, I, I get that too. Um, he, he doesn't know how to do anything. Well, he's never going to know how to do anything unless we give him the space to make the mistakes. (laughs) Yes. 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 And there was, there was one mom, she was just, you kept repeating that, repeating that. And I kept having to encourage her and support her. Let him make the mistake. She was trying to protect him from making the mistakes or saying she was protecting the kids. Let him make the mistakes. It'll Mm -hmm. be fine. Come back to me and we'll walk, work through it. But let him have that time. The best, the best shift I think you can make is to ask them, how did you learn? Oh, yeah. That's a great question. I remember when I first brought my baby home from the hospital, I was frantic. (laughs) Uh-huh. <laughs> I think I called the hospital in the middle of the night and said, uh-huh. I don't think she's breathing. And they're like, this no, one's broken. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Can well, I bring her back? Cause I don't think I can do this. <laughs> that's really great. One of my favorite yeah. early childhood experts um, posted something online last night, a, a video on, are we over parenting? And I felt it really applied to co-parenting. Like, are we overstepping our bounds and letting the other parent develop their own parenting style because mm-hmm. what matters most is the is the safe and secure connection attachment to either parent not necessarily how they choose to attain that right so right. it was really it was really eye opening for me because i think so many of us and i'll say myself included at least in the beginning were overstepping those bounds to try and control everything that's going on in the other parent's house and it's sending our children the message of well dad doesn't know what they're doing and that's yeah. very unfair. Well, it's actually an alienation tactic that if you can convince a child, I remember I had a kid in my office once who just was adamant. He didn't want to see his dad anymore. And he was 10 or 12 years old. And um, he said, I said, well, you know, what's the problem with your dad? Well, he does. when I'm at his house, he doesn't even do homework with me. And I'm thinking, what kid cares? <laughs> right. So it was clear to me that his mom was telling him that your dad doesn't really love you. If he really cared about you, he would have worked on that homework with you. And you're exactly right. You then raise somewhat of a perfectionist. And if you think about that long term, how is he viewing what love is? 
And, you know, I've had another kid tell me he hated his dad because he made him eat peas or something, you know, and he was adamant that that meant that dad didn't love me. He knows I don't like peas and he gave them to me and they need them anyway. Translate that into an adult relationship. Mm. When at a very young age, I was told you don't love me if you require me to do anything I don't want to do. <laughs> Relationships yeah. are full of us being required to do things that aren't always pleasant or the first thing we want to do. Right. And so you set them up, I think, for a relationship failure. And I, I think you're right. It is more prevalent now than it used to be because of the litigation. The ease of litigation, 30 years ago when I got a divorce, it wouldn't even have crossed my mind to take out a loan or put anything on my credit card to go to court. Right. Wouldn't have even crossed my mind. Couldn't afford it. Wasn't going to do it or ask my parents to fund it. Or then to continue filing motions pro se, just because. Just because. Right. And so now the ease of litigation is such that I think people in their minds are always building a case or they're always feeling like a case is being built against me. And you have these moms and dads who are frantic. I'm afraid to give my child a bath for fear. The whole child will tell mommy that I touched them the wrong way. You know, that stuff's real. Yeah, I know. And it's It's really, really really sad. sad. It's very, very sad that I'm being watched at all times in my own home, you know. I, I, that's, that's a struggle for everybody in the beginning, I think. Like, what are the kids going to go and say? And, you know, my response to that is live your truth with your kids. You know, you're not living under a microscope unless your child is being, you know, grilled every single time maybe they're going to give up like, you know, how many, how many carrots you made them eat at dinner or not. Right. But like we make a bigger deal in our head of these things for good reason. We're scared. These are our children. We want to get it right. So in, in your line of work, what do you think is at the end of your working with a parent or a couple? Do you work with couples? Yes. What do you you mean? Divorced. No. Yeah. In the context of co-parents. Yes. Yes. Couple. Yeah. What would you say is their period for when they, they're graduating from you? What is it that you want to see from two parents? Uh, uh, so the ultimate success measure for us is when they, in their email protocol, we have two sections. Every email is structured with an FYI section and an RR section. The RR is questions that you're obligated to talk about per your parenting plan court order, like vacation times and final decision making. And the FYIs are just things you want to share, hopefully about the kid's schedule. The ultimate uh, goal is to get them to write back and forth to each other once a week, one email, FYI, none. RR, none. Mm. That's when I know their their kids are doing great. Mm, I love There's that. There's nothing to talk about. <laughs> yes, that's great because they can't fight it that way. They what they've done is they've learned to parent in their lane and stop thinking about the parent in the other lane, and that way they get to focus on the kids. Well, here's to all co-parents having nothing to talk about with their <laughs> yes. divorce professionals. Uh, yes. That's that's beautiful. Where can our audience find you if they're interested in working with you or learning more about you, listening to the podcast? Yeah. To listen to the podcast, just go to cpdilemmas.com. So that's C is in cat, P is in 
Pam dilemmas, and I'll spell it because Rick is a terrible speller and he always gets it wrong. It's yes. D-I-L-E-M-M-A-S, two M's, one L, not the other way around. Yes. <laughs> and uh, if you have a question that you want us to explore on the show, just get to us by emailing 1234dilemma at gmail.com. Well, you guys are a great pair and I'm honored that you are here with me today. Any last words you want to share with our audience before we go? There is hope. It it, it can be done. Um, the, you yeah. can learn to be the impossible, not impossible right. person. Right. And, and we, we have had what other people would call failures in co-parenting sessions when one parent just throws their hands up and says, I'm out of here. This isn't good for me or us, or I don't want to do this anymore. And then I get a card, you know, maybe a holiday card or something where the other parent says, I know we weren't with you very long, but the three things I learned was this, and that changed how I interacted with him or her and then made all the difference. And I think we don't hear about those success stories. So success isn't always everybody walks off into the sunset, arm in arm, mm -hmm. getting along well. Sometimes success is one parent having an aha moment. Ah, very true. And we only need one parent to have the aha moment. Right. Yep. One reasonable parent in an unreasonable situation. That's yep. that's what it's about. Thank you both for being here. For everybody listening, thank you so much for tuning in once again. We'll see you next week on Moms Moving On. Thank you, Michelle. Thanks, Michelle. So you want to be a divorce coach, but the term divorce coach is a broad one because there is just so much you can cover in the world of moving on. Maybe you find yourself gravitating towards clients with high conflict co-parents, or perhaps you have a knack for helping women pull themselves out of bed when they feel overwhelmed with single mom responsibilities. No matter your ideal client, the one thread that will unite them all is that they're moms and moms need a different level of support when it comes to divorce coaching. With my moving on method, you'll not only learn how to best support a client through their divorce, you'll also learn how to help support them as they transition into their new role as co-parents and managing a coaching business. I'm Michelle Dempsey-Moltak, certified divorce and co-parenting specialist, and I founded the moving on method after years of working with clients from all over the world and seeing them all struggle with the same issues. In this training, you'll learn my five principles for helping a client with their moving on process, along with how to make your practice successful. Visit momsmovingon.com today to apply for my program. Thank you for joining us on today's episode of Moms Moving On. I hope you found today's episode to be helpful, inspiring, and give you the advice you need to feel empowered and strong as you move on. Don't forget to come say hi on Instagram at the Michelle Dempsey and drop us a line if there's a specific topic or subject you'd like us to discuss. Thanks. Stay strong.